Hello and welcome to this episode 27 of the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name's Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and I'm recording this on Monday the 3rd of April 2017. We won't actually release the episode until Friday, but the kids are off on their Easter holidays this week, so I'm taking a few days off, uh, and so I've popped out to the courtyard here at Somerset House, which is bathed in lovely sunlight, and you can probably hear the fountains going behind me, to record an introduction to this conversation with Giovanni Marchini Camilla, uh, who is the editor or the co-editor of Fireflies magazine. And he's normally over in Berlin, but he flew over to London last week to take part in our Stack Live event, Independent Magazines at the Movies. And so I grabbed him just before the event started and we found a quiet corner at the book club to sit in and record this conversation. I say a quiet corner, you will hear about halfway through some guys come in to fix some lights. Uh, so we had to uh, stop our conversation, move somewhere else. But it was seamless. The, the whole thing went very, very well. Uh, we were able to fly Giovanni over thanks to Park Communications. Uh, they were there that night at the, the event with their big shelf of independent magazines that they print. And I'm very pleased to say that they're sponsoring this episode of the podcast as well. If you're thinking of making your own independent magazine, you'll need to figure out somewhere to get it printed. So head over to parkcom.co.uk, that's parkcom.co.uk, to see the stuff that they do. They are genuine print enthusiasts, uh, and they'll be very interested to speak about your project, no matter how niche. And Fireflies really is one of those more niche movie magazines. So you'll hear Giovanni talks uh, in this discussion about trying to find a new language to discuss cinema and getting beyond the, the film reviews and interview profiles to try to engage new audiences in film and try to bring people who might not have be very familiar with the work of uh, these directors uh, and, and try to, to bring that to uh, new audiences. It was really brilliant speaking to him about the stuff that they do and, and in particular uh, about the way that they managed to make it all work. This quite complex structure of two directors in one magazine which is made between Melbourne and Berlin. So real challenges just in terms of the practicalities apart from anything else. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Giovanni Marchini Camilla, uh, the co-editor of Fireflies magazine. So I'm here with Giovanni Marchini Camille, one of the editors of Fireflies magazine. Right. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, could you tell us a little bit about what Fireflies is? Fireflies is a film magazine that's always split in half, so it has two covers. And each cover, uh, each half is dedicated to one filmmaker each time. And uh, we try to have a slightly more creative and personal um, approach to film criticism. So in addition to essays, we also print poems, short stories, but also illustration, drawings, photographs, all inspired by the films of the two filmmakers in the issue. And when you say you have two covers, because like, there are lots of magazines that, these days that print like four alternate covers or something, mm -hmm. but you mean you have a front cover and a back cover and the or, magazine is kind of split between the, the two. Yeah, we have two front covers. Basically, you get to the middle, then you have to flip the magazine around and start over. And the, the, the way that you structure that is the, the first part of the magazine will be about 
whichever director you've chosen mm-hmm. for that and then you get halfway through and then you get the other director exactly and you have to yeah, start back from the from the beginning by flipping it around and it's a distinctly artistic response to movies I think so you you have essays in there but then you'll also have poems and and all sorts of and, and fiction and things mm. that are building on the movies that you're writing about as, as well as like well I guess you don't really criticize them no we don't we don't do reviews or opinions I mean generally if we're picking the directors it means we love their work as a whole so it's all going to be quite positive but the idea behind it was that say a short story inspired by a film or a draw inspired film even though the relation might not be one-to-one or even that obvious we felt a response like that could be just as valid a piece of criticism as a review or an analytical essay not that we think those are in any way bad or or weak at all but it's just that there are a lot of those film publications out there when we're trying to find a new language to discuss cinema to get people excited about cinema who might not read sight and sound or film comment or one of these magazines Right, yeah. And so when I think about when I started with Stack, there was um, there was Little White Lies, mm-hmm. and there was um, a magazine called Electric Sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of independence, that was kind of it for independent film magazines. There's way more stuff mm-hmm. around these days. Where do you, I mean, do you consciously place yourself in relation to other film mags? Uh, not really. I mean, Little White Lies, of course, was a big inspiration when we were starting because of their whole very visual response to cinema, which we quite liked, and also the the way they use nice paper stock, and it's just a nice object to, to have at home and very pleasant to sit down and read with. So that was all things we were looking at when we were starting our own magazine. But otherwise, a lot of the ones that have cropped up since or have kind of come slightly after us, I think. We started in 2014. I think people like Shelf Heroes um, came afterwards. Uh, we, we read them. We like them a lot. But I don't, I don't know that we necessarily overlap very much. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned before uh, the directors that you choose. These are people who you would already love their work. Yes, yes. No, we we know them from before. We already love their work a lot. We, I mean, we're usually not experts on them. The first issue was Apichat Pong and Pasolini, and there I was a bit more of an expert on them. I wrote my master's thesis on Pasolini, and I was a big fan of Apichat Pong for a long time. So that one we had a bit more expertise. The other ones were just ones we were really excited about, and due to the magazine, it's kind of an excuse to get really into their cinema in a way that is really intimate and rewarding for us as well. Yeah, making a magazine is a great way of completely immersing yourself in something. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a slightly selfish aspect to it because it's super fun. I mean, we watch all these films. We, I don't know, it's not that often that you literally watch a filmmaker's filmography from A to Z. You know, we watch all the shorts, all the stuff, anything we can get our hands on, basically. We try to be as comprehensive as possible, and we discuss them over and over, and then we bring in the contributors, and that uh, expands the discussion further. The whole process is about six months long, and, yeah, by the end, we're we're quite <laughs> we're quite knowledgeable of these directors and it's it's a lot of fun yeah and so what makes i mean obviously they have to be directors that you like mm-hmm. but is there something that you look for beyond that in terms of a director that you know is going to give you something to work with um 
Well, one is the quality. That's the first thing. Uh, we we have to like their filmography as a whole. There can't be blind spots. There can't be major duds where we say like, okay, we ignore that bit. We don't want any of that. So it does restrict us somewhat. Then give us give us a filmmaker who you like the you know oh, do you know it could be them, but they just made that dud. Uh, say someone like John Carpenter, the latter half of his career is really not that great, or Paul Verhoeven, Hollow Man is really quite a bad film. <laughs> I don't know, these are guys we love and I can watch their films over and over, but then there's these these gaps and we just, yeah, it, it would be a bit dishonest, I think, to, to ignore it and also we don't want to deal with those aspects that, that much. And otherwise, as criteria, we haven't really, we never sat down and, and made a list of criteria, but generally the filmmakers have tended to be, their films have tended to be a bit more abstract, maybe a bit slower, the type of cinema that gives give space to the to the viewer to make up his own ideas, not, not so narrative driven, a lot of playing with form, all these aspects that then, since we ask contributors who are not necessarily film critics, but also artists and writers to to take these films and use them as inspiration for their own work. There has to be a certain amount of openness and room for the for the artists to have fun with them. They can't be very prescriptive and they can't be, yeah, they have to be quite open. Yeah, that's really interesting. So it's not just that you are creating individual poems, say, mm. or pieces of art in response to the different directors. You can come up with a concept that encapsulates elements of both of those directors' work. Mm -hmm. So well, I'm thinking back to issue two where you have uh, Kiristami and Bellatar. And for the Kiristami cover, you have cherries and then there's just like one potato showing. Uh, and on the other side, you have potatoes, which represents Bellatar, and then you think you just have like one or two cherries mm -hmm. showing. So you, you come up with these like artistic responses which encapsulate the whole. Yeah, I mean, the, the, two, the two halves are quite distinct, but the idea behind having two filmmakers is to promote this idea of exchange and dialogue, which is, which is an integral to cinema. No, no filmmaker works in a vacuum. They're part of this great history, and they always communicate with each other whether they do it consciously or not. So we, we, don't, we don't have any comparative pieces in the magazine we don't, because I feel that can often lead to um, contributors trying to contrive parallels, we, we, like, we, we would rather avoid that. So the, each half is quite distinct, but through aspects like the one you mentioned with the cherry and the potato, and our designer James puts a lot of design elements, or we, we've tried to commission pieces that touch on similar themes, we, try, we would really like for these parallels to emerge organically, so that if a reader were to carefully read the entire magazine, this stuff would come up by itself and it would make for a more rewarding experience for the reader because then it's not limited to a single filmmaker, it's two in a dialogue that then expands more broadly as well. And how do you find the filmmakers respond to this? Because the, the I, I, one of the things I found really impressive about what you do and, and really important to what you do is that you, I think not always, but very often you manage to sit down with the filmmaker mm -hmm and speak to them themselves. So it's not just that you're kind of off doing your own thing, you're also going direct to the source. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we, we do try to interview the filmmaker each time. So far, we've done it all except two, Pasolini because he's no longer alive, and Zsa Zsa because we, it just didn't work out time-wise. But otherwise, we managed to sit down with the filmmakers always. And we've always tried to, um, to conduct the interview as late in the editorial process as possible so that we have an idea of the content. And then we can shape the conversation around that and sort of build on the discussions maybe get them to respond to some of the ideas that were put forward of course we don't they don't read any of the the, the pieces before the interview but we try to touch on the theme so that that aspect of dialogue is extended between the contributors and the filmmakers in a more more palpable way and yeah i don't know how the the directors respond to the pairing the i don't I mean, Apichapong say, said he was flattered about Pasolini, even though he'd only seen a couple of his films. And Ben Rivers was very chuffed because he absolutely loved Pedro Costa, was one of his favorite filmmakers. And aside from the way that you approach the, the directors and the films, there's another remarkable thing about the magazine, which is that it's made between Berlin and Melbourne. Hmm. I don't know if it's remarkable. And I guess various places in between. Uh, yeah, we've, we, yeah, the last one was also made in Italy and Holland, <laughs> in the Netherlands. I don't know if it's remarkable so much as inconvenient, but, <laughs> but Annabelle, my co-editor, and James, our designer, are both Australians, and they have been moving between Australia and, and Berlin over the last few years. They mainly live in Australia, and they come over for the more intensive final part of the magazine. It, it's not the best way of working, especially since yeah, Australia is uh, eight to ten hours ahead depending on time of year, and that makes communication quite difficult. But for the last month or two months, we do have to be in the same place, especially Annabelle and I, because it just gets so intensive and it, it wouldn't work otherwise. So we've always made it work. It, it's, been, it's not been the easiest way of working, and we don't know whether we can keep it up, but so far it's worked, and hopefully we can we can manage in the future as well. So how did this all actually come about? How do you end up working with two people who are on literally the other side of the world? <laughs> well, they did used to live in Berlin. Uh, um, Annabelle and I met in, I want to say, twin, in 2011, I think. We are both living in Berlin. We were good friends. We worked on in another magazine together right after uni. And then in 2014, we started the magazine together. Then that was in Melbourne, I was visiting for a little while and then she moved back to Berlin and then she was working in a studio in Berlin and just happened to be talking in the kitchen with a guy who shared the studio saying we needed a designer and that was James and he said, well, I'm a designer, I want to participate and then he jumped on board and that for that issue, we were all in Berlin for the whole process and then can't remember if the second one they were there for the whole process or not but then from definitely from the third and fourth onwards those are back and forth and what is it for you that made you want to put all this into a magazine in the first place so you're you're making something about movies and and you're speaking at our event tonight Mm -hmm. and one of the things that I started with for this event was the in a way the the inconvenience of starting with images on a screen, images mm. and sound that move and do stuff on a screen, and how you try representing that mm. on paper, but also in a way that gives you some kind of identity of your own. So what, what is it about 
putting all this into a printed magazine that makes sense to you? Oh, we chose print. I think the main reason, other just personal liking for print because print is great, obviously. But <laughs> I think the main reason was that we wanted to encourage the kind of reader engagement that I think is exclusive to print. If you read stuff online, you skim it, I do the same. Anything longer than 500 words seems very long and you've got other tabs open and inevitably you're more distracted. With a magazine, you sit down, you have a coffee, you really you really sink into it. And a lot of the pieces that we print do require quite a bit of attention and we our contributors put a lot of work in and we put a lot of work in the editorial process to make these very considerate and thoughtful engagements with the film so yeah that's the kind of engagement we wanted to um, to encourage for example in the last issue we had a 7,000 word interview with Pedro Costa it's like 10 pages I don't know if anyone would read that off a screen and so that's the main thing the next thing is that it there's a there's an aspect of print that allows us to um, to since we want to have as broad a range of uh, responses to cinema as possible through print we can even extend this to the even the material properties of the magazine to give another example again the last issue was Ben Rivers and Pedro Costa two filmmakers who work the Ben Rivers works in analog and Pedro Costa works in, in digital so to re to reflect that aspect uh, James decided to print the magazine the the Pedro Costa half on a glossy processed paper which is very shiny and the pictures come out very very clear and the rivers half on a more grainy recycled paper which has somewhat an affinity to the the grainy look of analog film yeah yeah and I, I love that so it's such a simple uh, metaphor mm -hmm. but really really effective mm. So yeah, so you you flip the pages, you feel that in your fingers, maybe you don't even realize right away, but there is an aspect to it that I think resonates maybe subconsciously. Now, dealing with the kind of filmmakers that you're dealing with, these are not household names no. in a lot of cases. That presents an obvious problem in mm -hmm. terms of trying to sell the magazine, because if you were saying, this is the Steven Spielberg... <laughs> And, I don't know, well, yeah, to pick any other filmmaker issue. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you go about trying to make this into something that gets out in front of people? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a tough one. And, I mean, one of our main objectives when we started the magazine was to, to move the spotlight onto these lesser known. Because, you know, these are not household names, but you ask any film buff who Epi Chapon, who Pedro Costa, who Kiarostami is, and they're like, obviously I know who that is. These are some of the most important people. They're always at Cannes. They, they're the most respected. They're absolute superstars for cinephiles. Yet, yeah, you ask any non-cinephile, they're like, Epi Chat, what? So that was our, our thought. And we felt that a lot of the reason why they're, they're so niche is because of the way that they are discussed and in, 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 in the discourse around cinema is very specialized, very esoteric. Only few people read these magazines because not everyone's interested. Whereas if you were to look back at the 60s, someone like Godard or Pasolini or Bergman, they were superstars generally. So we thought that maybe one way of bringing that interest back was to find a new language through which to discuss film. 
and that maybe if we were to make it interdisciplinary, to bring in fiction, to bring in poetry, to bring in illustration, stuff that speaks to a broader audience of culturally minded people who would like these films, but maybe just don't get to hear about them, that that would be a way of getting others interested. Then if we have been successful in that way, I don't know, but at the same time, every issue has been quite surprising. For example, we were a bit scared of doing Pedro Costa and Ben Rivers because then we were really getting in very niche territory. But that's possibly the issue that, that had the strongest response and has sold best, I think. I, I think there's, there's often that thing where the tighter the niche you go, hmm. the better chance you stand because then you're, you're going to get people, you know, if you've got a Ben Rivers fan, mm-hmm. And they are really passionate about that filmmaker, and they probably haven't seen him. Like, they probably haven't seen that much written about him mm. elsewhere. So, a magazine which is half dedicated to him becomes a particular attraction. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there is now a book about Ben Rivers, but I think we, I think we were the first in terms of a proper publication dedicated to him. So yeah, no, that aspect, probably the niche aspect, works in that way as well, which is then not according to our objective, but no, that's obviously great as well. And you also have a, a system of patrons, which is, I guess, intended to help you with this, so that if you can get someone to believe in your mission mm-hmm. and put some money up to support what you're doing, mm-hmm. then it means you don't have to worry quite so much about catching people's eye on the newsstand. Yeah, and we, we don't really have a system. We, we sent out an email to our uh, mailing list uh, asking if anyone wanted to support. And I think five or six people came out and gave some money to support the magazine. And it definitely helped. I think we covered maybe maybe a 10 or 15% of the, the printing cost that way, which is ex- uh, absolutely helpful. But for the next issue, we'll have to start again. I think there are these systems, I can't remember what it's called, something Patron... One of these crowdsourcing. Oh, Patreon. Uh, Patreon, yeah. exactly. We were looking into working with that. Maybe the the financial aspect is something we have to work on. <laughs> <laughs> As is often the case with yeah. independence. So, what what does a patron get if someone's listening to this and they think this mm. sounds like exactly the sort of film magazine that I want to get? So, what, what does a patron get? Uh, well, it depends how how you want how you want to help out. We the way we we set it up the first time, we just said, listen, if you give a hundred. 100 euros you will get three copies of the magazine whether this one or spread out over different issues is up to you we will send them to you for free and you will have your name or the name of your company in in the front page uh, there's the legal page with all the thank yous you will be thanked there like everyone else mm-hmm. but also we also let it open some other people contest but uh, contributing in different ways and then we just discussed it on a case-by-case basis okay so people can send you an email and and see what goes from there absolutely <laughs> so this then clearly is not your job this this is not what you do to oh, no. make money so the, what, what do you do outside of fireflies uh well personally I, i'm a critic and i also do odd jobs like translations or writing uh, assignments that i don't necessarily put my name to stuff like that and then uh, this year i also started uh, working for the locarno film festival so it's basically yeah, the typical freelance life of different jobs. 
Uh, Annabelle is pretty much the same, but more in the creative writing, uh, publishing um, field, and James as well, but with graphic design. So we're all freelancers doing odd jobs left and right and center, and then this is our hobby that we keep on and do whenever we can manage, basically. And uh, and it sounds like then some of your actual paid work is also involved with film, so I guess it helps that you have this film mag no absolutely. As well. no, absolutely. It has helped a lot. And, you know, the film criticism world, especially the English-speaking film criticism world, is not that big. So the name has spread around. And now when I travel to festivals, I go to Cannes, I go to Berlin, I go to Venice, Locarno, so forth. People know it and no, it has has done it has helped so much and it's also really rewarding to run into someone and for them to know your magazine and then you can have a chat about it yeah yeah and I guess especially because you're getting to make something which is entirely the way that you want Mm -hmm. it I remember so years ago I first got into independent magazines through Little White Lies Mm -hmm. And that's because I wanted to be a film writer. Uh, you know, I wanted to be—I wanted to do what you do. I wanted to be a film critic. But I remember over the years just seeing these jobs falling away. Mm. The you know the, these film critic jobs at newspapers and things, yeah, just just falling away. But you you get to make a magazine that is your expression of how you see film. Sure. No, that was of course a huge part of it starting out in 2014. I mean, it's gotten it's gotten slightly better since 2014. Also, we were relatively fresh out of uni and it was difficult to get paid and you had to write, I don't know, listicles and stuff that was really quite, I don't know, soul-destroying in a way. And yeah, it was, I want to do, I want to write what I want to write, I want to publish what I want to publish and that that's amazing. And at the end, so we've never had to make any compromises on any of the issues and then you get the issue and you hold it in your hand and it's 100% yours and that's an amazing feeling for sure. That is a great place to be. Yeah. Nice. All right, thank you very much for speaking. No, thank you for having me. Okay, that's it for this week. Thanks again to Giovanni for flying over and being part of our movies night. And thanks also to all the other speakers who were involved that night. It, it was interesting, I think, hearing Giovanni talking about how the most successful issue so far has also been their most niche. And that's something that kept coming up again and again at the movies night with these small, unusual magazines are driven by passion and people who are trying to do something that's distinct and somehow uh, real to them. It was a really great night. And so if you're in London or if you find yourself in London at any point, keep an eye on the Stack blog to see when we're going to be doing our next stuff. Thanks also to Park Communications for sponsoring that night and this podcast. Uh, Once again, if you're looking for somewhere to print a magazine, check them out at parkcom.co.uk. That's parkcom.co.uk. And thanks to you for listening. If you've enjoyed this one, then just search us out on SoundCloud or iTunes. Uh, Just search for Stack Magazines and you should find all the stuff we've done so far. Lots of conversations with magazine makers. And of course, sign up while you're there to follow us and we'll deliver next week's episode as soon as it's ready. Okay, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.